Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy, and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, the show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello, my guest today is a transformational relationship coach and Demartini Method facilitator dedicated to maximizing human awareness and potential in individuals and groups. She helps couples to do a different dance and turn around their relationships. Welcome to the show, Anna Ruiz. Hi, John. Thank you. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here and uh, to share what, I, what I've learned in this journey. Awesome. I I can't wait to have a conversation. There's so many things for us to discuss today. Uh, That was obviously just a brief introduction to yourself. Can you tell um, the listeners a little bit more about yourself, what you do and how you help? Yeah. So uh, first of all, I I live in the United States and I was born in Mexico City and migrated to the U.S. when I was 22 years old. Um, Back then I had a background in computer science and that's how I got a job in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, but basically the way my, my journey started, um, I was a year and a half old when my older sister um, at a time, Christina, she was five and she drowned uh, under my parents' um, eye, uh, mm-hmm. under their care. And um, yeah, so that really set my family into a, a different trajectory from most um, families, um, mm-hmm. middle class families in Mexico. And really what happened is that um, my mom became very depressed and suicidal. Um, My dad was withdrawn and um, would hide at work. And uh, for the next six months after my sister died, I was under the care of a nanny. Um, So what that means is I develop an attachment style uh, that is called disorganized. Mm -hmm. And you probably are familiar with you know this 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 thing. Yeah, I do actually run a monthly Yeah, I run a month, monthly workshop online about attachment styles. Yeah. So as someone who grew up with this organized attachment style, it means that my mom um, was was there physically, but not physically, and definitely mm-hmm. was not there emotionally because she was grieving. Mm-hmm. And then, so I grew up craving connection, but feeling afraid of connection, feeling afraid of being left alone. And that really marked uh, my blueprint for doing relationships for the rest of my life. Okay. So what kind of blueprint did you develop then? Um, Well, I was someone who was um, scared, um, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I was very outgoing. But then that part that was like going started dim down as I, as I got older. Um, I felt insecure. Um, I felt afraid of speaking up. And all these traits, if you, let's say, project them to the time I was uh, 20, 22 years old, mm-hmm. I am on my first serious romantic relationship. Um, I'm moving to the U.S. with um, the man that I was dating. Okay. Um, and he was already living in the U.S. at a time. So imagine, like, I come with all this ma- uh, baggage. And then right. you add to that the uh, cultural shock of moving to another country 
by mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. So that um, ended up in a relationship that, I mean, that all that baggage just eventually became too much and the relationship ended, right. which then caused another setback for me in terms of grief that I didn't know how to process. And right. then uh, I'm in the United States by myself, grieving the relationship with a man I thought I was going to marry. Right. Okay. Another just another loss on your kind of notch on your bedpost type thing. Yeah. How did how, how did that kind of how did that impact on you? So again, you like you said, you've got this grief from your childhood, which at 22 you you probably hadn't worked on or looked at yet, um, and then you go to a foreign country to be of a guy that relationship doesn't work out. How how did you manage that space being by yourself at that time? Well. Yeah, um, the way that relationship ended was uh, the man that I was dating um, started, like he cheated on the relationship with a woman from the same company where we all work together. So I was like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, so everybody kind of knew what was going on. Oh, everybody was an 80 person company at a time. So, and we all spent our because none of us had families um, in, in Northern Virginia where I was, I was located <clears throat> and we were young. So we work hard and play hard, but all within the same, mm. the same circle of people. Okay. So, so I was devastated. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do. Um, I realized like it was painful for me to watch them arrive into the office together in the same car. And right. um Eventually, he went on to marry her and have three kids. And I hope they are happy because that that was not the relationship I wanted to be in long term. Took me a while to learn that. Um, But my way to uh, cope with that was to escape. So I was looking for the same company that I work with to transfer me to the United. No, to transfer me to London. Okay. Um, so I was like ready to go to London. I had mm-hmm. a t- I, look, the only thing I didn't have was an airline ticket. Right. But I had a, I had a, a flat. I had just everything. I had a position. I was ready to go. And then at the last minute, the vice president of um, consulting called me and said, Anna, you cannot go to London. Um, I know I told you I would transfer you there. Um, we have a shortage of consultants in the West Coast, so we need you to go to the West Coast instead. So can, as you can imagine, I almost threw a tantrum, and I probably <laughs> did. He didn't know that. <laughs> but then to sweeten the deal, he said, pick any city in the West Coast where you want to live. And I said, okay, I'll go to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And that was just one short uh, stop to where I finally found home for me which is in Seattle oh awesome that was a good decision not to come to London in the end (laughs) I will never know but again the way it works out well (laughs) (laughs) and and that that kind of those triggers there where you're already your disorganized attachment so then having a relationship where you're cheated on how did that did how did that trigger your disorganized how, how did you react to that do you think do you think, again, you were also trapped in that, that type of relationship because of your disorganized attachment? I think, so growing up with my mom, I became codependent. Okay. Um, because I was the oldest 
And as I'm, as my mom was struggling with manic depressive, I was my mom's nurse, cook, okay. um, confident, best friend, and the list goes on and on and on. So I really, like I became codependent. Mm-hmm. So my relationship when I moved to the United States with that man was a relationship of codependence. Okay. And when that relationship ended, I, I was crushed and I went to a place of really withdrawn and I didn't have a serious relationship for many, many years. Every relationship that I had would last maybe three or four months and then end because there was a part of me that was emotionally unavailable. Yeah. I was afraid of opening my heart and being heartbroken again. Therefore, I attracted unavailable men mm. who continue valid mirroring that emotionally unavailability in me. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the, 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 depend, the codependency that you had with your mother, did you, you then looked after this guy that had the affair? You went into that codependent relationship again? Yes. Yes. That, that relationship was about codependency. And then I did like a 180 degree turn and I said, I'm not going to rely on a partner ever again. I am going to be Mrs. Independence and I'm going to be in control and this will never, ever happen to me again. So you became emotionally unavailable and then started to attract guys that were also looking for somebody who was emotionally unavailable. Right. Because they didn't want commitment. So it worked fine. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? That those patterns that you formed and those decisions that you made subconsciously and maybe even consciously in your, in your case led to then another series of maybe unhealthy relational attachments. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And you mentioned that this relationship with your mum and she was this dependency based on the loss of your sister, do you think? Because she was, you know, did that was at the start of her depression and and her inability to kind of, parent you um I think I mean to be honest with you my mom was already codependent right so I think I was the I was the closest one to her at that time Mm -hmm. and that's that's what happened had my um if my sister had not died I think that that codependency would have been between my older sister and my mother and the reason I think that is because after my sister died about seven or eight months later, my mom became pregnant with my um, middle brother, my younger brother. And their relationship is not of codependency. Okay. There, there, it has some tones to it, but it's not as as strong as it is. Yeah. And I guess you didn't need anybody else if she had you fulfilling that role, right? (laughs) Exactly. I was doing it all. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And again, you say she was maybe codependent with your father and then she switched to you because your dad then became the person that wasn't available any longer. He switched off in his own way because of losing your sister. And then she latched onto you instead to fulfill that need she had inside of her. Yeah, definitely. And when did you then make a decision? How did that then shift for you? So you went through this codependent relationship with this guy, then you became emotionally unavailable because you didn't want to get hurt. What then happened as far as your kind of relationships are concerned when 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 did that change did you stay 
How long did you stay in that space for? So I stayed in that space until I was 38 years old. Mm -hmm. And at age 38, I had my first like really long-term relationship. Um, and it was a roller coaster of relationship. And right. I'll explain a little bit more why. <laughs> <That's a surprise>. uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So at, at 38, um, I start dating um my ex-partner, who, yeah, we we had a, a roller coaster of relationship because right. at that point. I was getting older. I knew I wanted, I had a longing for a relationship. Yeah. So I was willing to do whatever I could to keep a man, okay. which included uh, not speaking up, not talking up, not asking about my needs, getting right. mad. So I was, I didn't want to be a doormat, but I was being some kind of a doormat. And, yeah. and that was for about five years. <coughs> um, it was, a roller coaster of relationships. So at age 42, I took a step back and I said, okay, this is really not working. Uh -huh. um, I asked for help. And literally I went into Google and I said, I need relationship help. Yeah. And that's how I met the relationship coach who coached me. Mm -hmm. And then later on became my, my teacher and mentor and boss. Okay, cool. Cool. Uh, that's a journey in itself. And before that, though, before you met this guy that you had that roller coaster relationship, um, you had some kind of breakdown yourself. Is that correct? You I did. Yeah. So I met him at <clears throat> I met him at 38. Mm -hmm. And at, when I was 33, 33 years old, I had a psychotic episode. OK. And I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Right. And that was really crushing for me uh, for many reasons, because the, I remember sitting in, in the hospital bed when the doctor gave me the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I said, OK, well, um, if that's what I have, um, tell me what's the cure. Mm. And he said, well, there's no cure. And I said, well, what do you mean? Every illness, every disease has a cure. And he said, yeah, um, and bipolar disorder and other mental health conditions are not uh, curable. So I felt like, like I shatter on the inside. Yeah, uh, that sounds like a, a, a real sort of dramatic space that you were in at the time to be yeah. told that you, you're struggling in, in such a difficult way and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. But I guess... Yeah. They were wrong, right? Because you did do something about it. Oh, <laughs> I did 17 years of uh, work, including yeah. therapy. Yeah. Um, and I did a bunch of different therapies from um, cognitive-based uh, therapy, mm -hmm. um, somatic experiencing, biofeedback, PAC therapy, which is attachment-based therapy from Stan Tatkin. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the list goes on and on. Um, I became an energy healer. I studied energy healing. I became an energy healer. Right. Um, I became a certified yoga therapist, a certified yoga teacher. I mean, you name it. For 17 years, I had been looking for answers. Mm -hmm. uh, my questions. I talked to shamans, um, Ali Domasome, who transitioned recently 
Priestley. I don't know if you're familiar with him. No, no, I'm not. No. Yeah, um, a very interesting um, elder, elder man and who I had a, re- a soul reading with him once. Right. And pretty much like mapped out to me what my soul was trying to tell me and okay. what, what my future was. Yeah. And again, all that was just me seeking in for seeking answers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then, and, and then you did since there is it since that you uh, since you've kind of worked on yourself with a coach and become a coach yourself that you've dedicated your life to um, helping people to create these healthy relationships or how did you manage to put all of that together through all your experiences? Yeah. So as I was doing my own healing work, I was starting to become a relationship coach and, and I was, I had a full-time job. So I was doing all those three things at a time. And um, as I did my inner work, things shift for me. Mm -hmm. And I became what's considered in attachment style, being secure, being an anchor. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point is when I met my current life partner. Yeah. And really things changed for me, transformed. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, so that was one of the, the, the main transformations that I've been through in my life. Um, because becoming secure means that I, tr- I attracted a man into my life who is mostly secure mm-hmm. and also has some avoidant style in him. Yeah. And we can do that dance of relationship together between what I've learned, what he has learned, the skills that I bring into the relationship, the skills that he brings into the relationship. Mm-hmm. And we are whole individuals who are whole and I'm coming into a relationship as wholes. Yes. So it creates a wholesome relationship and a really awesome relationship. Yeah. So we, I was having a conversation just this morning with somebody about how the work you do on yourself to make yourself as, as you say, secure, um, that, you know, all of your, your, you know, what might be triggering for you and work on all those wounds and pains from the past and then you bring someone into your life that complements you as a person rather than completes you as a person Uh, and that's what you found and that kind of getting yourself into a secure space then allowed you to attract someone who was mostly secure within themselves at the same time whereas previously your codependency issues um, your emotional trauma from your childhood was only attracting unhealthy um, and roller coaster type relationships to you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like how you said um, finding a partner who complements you versus completes you. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a very big difference between those two. And okay. once I learned how to do it and how that feels, mm-hmm. I was like, I've never felt anything like this before. And yeah. Um, all of a sudden, everything that I wanted to do in life, I just feel like I had this um, uh, propel behind me mm-hmm. that just like pushed me forward to keep on doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted other people to have their own experience of what I have. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's what you said about your, your coach earlier on as well is, is also very interesting. 
was it was that kind of your first experience of a positive attachment or a positive relationship yes yes he was the first he so a couple of things he was that and he was also the first male role model healthy male role model that I've had in my life Um, and he's married he has kids so that was also the first modeling of like a, how a healthy couple looks like right. and how a healthy family looks like, which yeah. believe it or not at the core, I, that's what I've been longing for mm. family. No, I definitely believe that it's because it was just completely missing. Wasn't it? When you're, when you were, when you were a child. Yes. And again, yeah. you were, you were kind of in a way you had an absent father and you were parenting your mom. Yeah. <laughs> I was doing it all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very tough space. But again, like you said, you you know, you you met somebody. Not only did they coach you on your stuff, but they gave you an idea of what's a healthy relationship could look like. Yes, yeah. yes. And um, and as I became his student, um, I would watch him do like ten minute laser laser coaching in, in, in class. Mm-hmm. And I would witness that. And I, I realized that's what I wanted to do. And in yeah. fact, um, I think that my curiosity to help people heal started, I mean, way back when my mom was struggling, I wanted to help her so bad. Yeah. Um, fast forward when I was 32, and I started therapy, I watched my therapist work and I felt the same. I was like, I, I want to become a, a, ther- uh, yeah, a therapist. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't afford being like going back to school, have a full-time job, pay yeah. my rent. Right. And so fast forward, um, being an energy healer became that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that didn't work for me for other reasons. Um, right. Energy healing and, and psychosis do not mix well. Okay. Um, yeah. Could you, could you could you explain that a little bit more for me? Yes. Um, so I spent about six years being part of a community of energy healers. Yeah. And um, towards the end, probably on year four, I was allowed to go on these uh, energy healing week long retreats with the master healers and I was just a young healer (laughs) a young energy healer and um and we would do these um, meditations um that really like activated a lot a lot of like my upper chakras probably like my crown chakra I don't know if you're familiar with uh chakras in yoga yes indeed so just imagine that like all my antennas here that from the head spin off to like the universe and they just start getting like activated during these meditations and I don't have the grounding that I need to have so that trigger psychotic episodes and every time I would go to my teachers and said well I just came back from this week-long retreat with with all of you and I'm having psychotic episodes what's that about mm. and they said to me well those are uh, healing crises so after after the third healing crisis I decided I was either gonna die or become in some kind of 
energy vibration somewhere out in the universe or who knows what and i did not want to take the risk <laughs> yeah it sounds like it was just completely overwhelming and running away with you absolutely and because they were an organization that did not have a experience of someone with my gifts right. they didn't know how to um channel me the proper way so okay so I, I leave that and I was a very devoted yoga student. So mm. I started with my teacher who developed um, what's called integrated movement therapy. My teacher, um, Molly Lennon Kenny, and mm. I worked with her to become a certified yoga therapist, which right. was good. Mm. Um, it was just the right move. And then um, a couple of years after that, I'm working as a yoga therapist on the side. So what I do is I start having these relationship problems and I put all my energy into learning relationships, psychology, um, attachment theory, mm. the brain, um, neurobiology, and all these things that were really interesting. And mm. that's how I moved from doing yoga therapy on the side to doing like starting relationships, becoming a relationship coach. And it's up to now that I'm starting to blend a little bit of what I learned as a yoga therapist into my relationship coaching practice. And that's why I call myself a transformational relationship coach, because it's, it's all very powerful. Yeah, very powerful indeed. Uh, do, you, do you think there's a link between the um, disorganized attachment style that you had and your bipolar? There's a lot of studies suggest that an, un, uh, an insecure attachment can lead to personality disorders, including bipolar disorder. Um, yes. And, and do you think also that managing your space down being a, in a secure space, how has that impacted on your bipolar disorder? So to answer the first Part of your questions, yes, it is true that um, as having a history of disorganized attachment style um, led me to develop um, a, a mental illness, uh, the bipolar disorder. Um, bipolar disorder has a root on trauma, trauma as a, as a child and trauma as an adult. Mm -hmm. So it's like all these incidents of trauma that are not integrated and that therefore uh, create a person with with a, with a, a mental condition. Yeah. And then there's another part that I want to just like put a bookmark and we can come back, which is mm -hmm. the work that I've been doing with Dr. John Demartini, mm -hmm. because that was really the key that unlocked everything for me. Um, but so imagine the trauma. Yeah. And then uh, my mom having a, a, a diagnosis of manic depression. When, whenever I, I went to see a psychiatrist, they would look at my history and said, well, if your mother is um, manic depressive, well, that's, that's hereditary. And therefore that's okay. why you have bipolar disorder. Okay. And yeah, and I, I used to resist that yeah, a I'm lot. Sure. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. you resisted that. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I would resist it a lot. I think that now with what I know about epigenetics, Yes, it is possible that some traits get passed down mm. and it got passed down to me, didn't get passed down to any of my siblings. So, yeah. And, yeah. and again, even if, if it was within your 
possibly in within your genetic makeup it took the trauma to trigger that in the first place didn't it Um, and then that was being held within your body within your cells and uh, as we know kind of about these things nowadays Um, but possibly could have just been something that you developed because of the trauma that yes through as well yeah so tell me about the work that you did with dr d martini then yeah so um so like having a secure partner is not enough or was not being enough for me to stop the psychotic episodes. Okay. So, um, because there's more to it than just, than just having a secure relationship and, and feeling safe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's why I kept studying, like seeking, seeking answers. Yeah. Um, because even though I was doing therapy, I was taking, the medication which um, for maintenance, which is lithium, I was still having manic episodes and I was in a secure relationship. So um, Dr. John Martini, he is a brilliant man. He is a genius. And he, um, I met him when I started studying relationships. He was, he is mentor to my relationship coach. Right. Okay. You're a mentor, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, can you see like the connection, yeah. the connections, right? Yeah. So um, when I first started studying relationships, I hear about Dr. John Martini, and fast forward, it was a year ago, April, 2021, that I started studying with John, Dr. John Martini. Mm-hmm. He is explaining um, his method, who is the Martini method. And he describes the Demartini method as a method to synthesize and synchronize opposites. And as he explaining opposites, he says, okay, on one side, you can have infatuation on the other one, on the other side, you can have resentment, right? So when you have a, a situation that happens, your perception can be of infatuation or your perception can be of resentment. When you apply the Demartini method to that perception, yeah. then you find the point in the middle, which is the point of gratitude, which is synthesized and synchronized. And then that perception gets neutralized. Right. Are you following me so far? Yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm going deep in here, but this is so um, interesting to me and, and so powerful that it's important for me to share that. Yeah, of course. Because... Yeah. Because as he's talking about, like, well, you can have infatuation or resentment, you can have uh, pride or um, putting yourself on the pit, and he goes on and on and on. And then he says, or you can have bipolar and bipolar, or you bipolar thoughts, or you can have um, depression. And when I heard the word bipolar, I was like, well, wait a second. Um, and I just like raised my hand and I was like, over here, I was like, Dr. Demartini, um, can I ask you a question? I said, I am the kind of person who's been like having these bipolar episodes for 17 years. And you're just saying that the opposite of bipolar is over here. And that I said, please tell me more. Yeah. And um, so he spent about 10 minutes just walking me through a scenario that I had Mm -hmm. and he helped me apply his method into my scenario. It was an an example of um, an incident that I had um, years ago, a bipolar 
a psychotic episode that I had years ago. Yeah. And in that moment in front of the class, he asked me a few questions. And that, that memory that I had that was all negative, now I can see the benefits. So it's neutralized. Right, yeah. So I have a, a number of unconscious memories like that that need to be neutralized. Okay. And as I do that, then the bipolar episodes will subside and subside and subside until there's nothing left to 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 neutralize. Right. Wow, that's amazing. And what difference has that made to your life? Well, um, have you ever wanted something in your life so bad? Probably not as bad as that, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying just something in your back in your life that you wanted mm. so madly. Yeah. That one day you achieve it. Mm. And you feel that it changed your life forever. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So, so can you uh, thank you for sharing that? It's amazing. Um, and I'm I'm sure that will resonate with a lot of people as well because a lot of these things like you said with the psychiatrists unfortunately we're told that there's no cure for these things and we're told that we have to live with these things but as you know and I know there are things that we can do and it's amazing that you are a living example of something that is so powerful such as bipolar that is seen as something that's not curable um, that you've actually been able to find a way to get yourself into a space where you don't have to experience those difficulties anymore. Uh, thank you for sharing that. It's amazing. And I'm sure that's going to resonate on so many levels with the listeners. Um, can you tell me now a bit about how your work? So how do you work with people? So obviously when I, um, when I introduced you, you, it was about you kind of how you work with these relationships in order to uh, help people kind of turn their, their relationships around. And, and I like your phrase, a different dance. Can, so can you tell me now what you do with your relationship coaching? Yeah. So what I do is I work at the moment, I work with couples, individuals, and, um, and from time to time, I work with groups as well, mm -hmm. uh, mainly um, because the truth is relationships are complex. And mm -hmm. you probably know that, right, John? Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So relationships are complex. And then if we add to that, the fact that most of us did not learn relationship skills, either at home or at school. Mm -hmm. And that just makes it really hard for people to have healthy, long lasting relationships. Yeah. And um, there's a there's a study that was conducted by Harvard University here in the United States where they recruited, I think it was about over 300, over 300 men mm -hmm. or 300 men educated, Harvard educated, and then they followed them for a period of 80 years. And one of the conclusions of that um, study, which by the way, is still, still continuing, mm -hmm. there are only like 79 um, men who are still part of the, the study because like, in the span of 80 years, a lot yeah. of things happen, right? Exactly, yeah. um, so the main conclusion out of that study is that healthy relationships 
contribute to living a fulfilling and healthy long life. So, so this has been proven that better, like the quality of our relationships determine the quality of our lives. Like this is a quote from Esther Perel. So we, we've heard this before, but we didn't know how to do relationships. And that's where I come in. And I call it the dance because oftentimes when I work with couples, I can't tell them that what they're doing is wrong because it's not their fault. That's what they learn at home. That's what it was modeled to them. Mm-hmm. And when I can see what is it that each one, each person is doing, and I explain it to them, and then I said, okay, this is the dance that you were doing before. Now you need to learn these new steps of the dance. Then it's easier for them to understand it, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, just to go back, that, that study is actually the Grant Bluick study. And it's quoted on my website. So I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating study. Um, I, I read about that a couple of years ago. Uh, and like you said, it's, 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 it is evidence that relationships are key to your quality of life. So when you say the dance, that, that helps people to understand that it's just about learning new steps, to be in step with each other, I guess, to go with the flow of the relationship rather than, maybe the dance that they were doing previously, which could have been, they maybe learned not to be in flow with each other. Right. Or maybe one person likes to do the cha-cha-cha versus the other person. (laughs) They like to do the swing. Mm -hmm. And to be in relationship, they have to change their tempo, uh, learn how to move, and then it is possible to make it work as long as they're willing and open to, to change. Yeah, most definitely. I completely agree. That's a amazing work that you do. Um, before we finish up today, there's a, a little offer that you've got for the listeners. Is that right? Yes. So um, I'm offering um, a complimentary clarity session um, for anyone who's interested um, is there's no strings attached. All you have to do is go to my website, um, http colon forward slash forward slash anaruiz.life, and that is spelled A-N-A-R-U-I-Z dot L-I-F-E. Mm-hmm. And, that, um, and that's an hour-long, hour-long session where you're welcome to ask me um, just anything, and let me know that you're coming from um, from the John um, Kenny uh, podcast. And in that one hour, I'll ask you questions about your relationship. I'll offer some tips, some advice, and again, there's it's no strings attached. You don't have to commit to doing anything after that. Mm-hmm. And that's that's my offer for for listening today. Awesome! Thank you very much for that, and all the details. Uh, will be listed in the show notes. And if you want to get in touch with Anna, just go to the show notes and you can click on there and uh, do mention the Relationship Guy podcast, as Anna said, and you can get your free one-hour clarity session uh, to ask her anything you like, probably about relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can also offer advice on cooking, gardening, but uh, (laughs) but that will be for that. You have to find me on Facebook. Okay, great. So there you go, mindful of information. Um, so if you uh, 
have any other things that you want to talk to Anna about, do get in contact. Uh, please, please don't though, however, because I'm sure she doesn't want to be un inundated with your gardening inquiries. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Anna. Is there anything, sort of parting words you'd like to leave with the audience? Well, I think the one thing is um, remember that the what you're doing right now in your relationships, if you have kids, you're modeling that to your kids as well. So investing in yourself, learning relationship skills, um, it also ripples down to your kids, your nephews, nieces, um, your family and your friends. So, yeah, just just be mindful of that. Very much. Thanks for your time. Um, there's been so much insightful and interesting uh, stuff that you've talked about today. Um, thank you for being a guest. Uh, and a lovely to, to, to take spend this time with you. Yeah, I was delighted. And um, thank you so much for this opportunity, John. You're, you're very welcome. You take care and I'll speak to you again soon. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, follow and review the show. That is very much appreciated. And please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond. Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.